Good morning, Baylife. How we doing? Someone else. So glad you're here. Uh, it's going to be a great day after we're done here today. We're going to get to baptize some more folks outside, so hopefully you'll come out and join us as we celebrate uh, lives changed out there. If you have your Bible, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We've got a couple more sermons in this series that we started in January called Origins. We're looking at the first three and a half or so chapters of the Bible and just seeing how things kind of got started and uh, learning from them as we live our lives in this day and age. Uh, can I pray? We'll get going. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much uh, for this opportunity this morning to go uh, deeper into your word and, and figure out the things there for us. We know that your word is um, for today. It's not just this ancient document that speaks of ancient things. It's, it's a pertinent document. It's, uh, it's current, and it has so much to say to us and how we deal with our lives. So today, as we dig in uh, to this messy thing called sin, and we talk about the justice that has to come as a result of sin, uh, help us to see the good that comes from your justice and help us to see uh, uh, you behind the consequences, uh, even for our sins. I pray that uh, uh, you'd help us not to sin, that you'd lead us away from temptation, and you'd deliver us from evil. Uh, but God, uh, when, we, when we fall prey, when we, when we fall into sin, help us to do uh, that well, to confess and to um, repent and to head in better directions so that you get the glory you deserve from us. As always, get me out of the way. Speak in my place. Say the things you need to pe- for people to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Justice. The origins of justice. Yeah, we we all love justice when it works in our favor. Does everybody like it when someone got your back? Thank you, Charlie. Uh, Yeah, when someone is defending you and defending your rights or working in your favor and bringing justice to your life, we love that. I got a phone call from uh, one of my... uh, insurers, or the, the, one of the agents for my car insurance. I was in a car wreck about a month ago. Um, I drive a truck. Uh, a, a Toyota Camry decided to run into me from behind. He lost. Uh, his car was totaled. I had, I had a bumper that I needed to replace, but uh, uh, we left the scene, and I was hopeful that his insurance would provide for my uh, you know, wreck, and uh, found out a couple days later that he was uninsured. He just had fake insurance cards, and so I ended up paying for my wreck, blah, blah, blah. It happens all the time. So this uh, insurance agent was calling me to assure me that uh, they were doing everything they possibly could. My insurance agents were doing everything they could to recoup what had been lost in my claim for themselves and for me. My deductible will be defended day and night, blah, 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 right? And do I expect to get any money from this guy? Absolutely not, all right? I bet you he's he's nowhere. He is a vapor, okay? They're not going to find him. That's totally cool, whatever. But uh, did I feel good, though, just, you know, for a second to think, someone's got my back. Someone out there in this huge conglomerate, this huge company, is handling my case and trying to get my money back. Everybody likes that, right? It feels good. Everybody should do that. Everybody should defend me. Y'all defend me. Defend me, everyone. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> we don't like justice when it's being uh, doled out on us, even if, even if it's coming at us rightly so, Right? I don't know about you, I'm human. I think to be human is to be uh, patently against receiving correction or justice. We just don't like it. We don't like to think we're wrong. Anybody here like to think that they're wrong? I don't. And so when justice comes my way, I'm not a a huge fan of it. I like it when it works in my favor. I don't like it when it works against me. I was out with my wife, uh, Eleanor, uh, earlier this week on a dinner, and uh, I've been taught my... Uh, whole marriage, my whole dating experience with her, that I need to listen with my eyes. Fellas, this is a good rule of thumb. 
If you're going to hang out with your wife, look at her while she's talking. They like that. Okay? There's a lady over there who knows what I'm talking about. Anyway. Is that you, Mar- is that Miriam? There you go. Okay, all right. Uh, now, I know this. Married 24 years. I've actually trained myself. When I go into a place where there's a, a TV, I sit with my back to the television. Why? Because if, if I'm talking with my wife and she catches me doing this, watching the game, trouble. There's trouble coming. All right? Just how she likes it. And she's not a shrew or anything. She's just, you know, she just likes to be paid attention to. It's, it's makes sense. Yeah? Right? Okay. So I go out on, on this, you know, this dinner, and I bring my phone with me, which is a TV in your hand. Just so you know, it's a TV in your hand. And I have scorched an ADD. Can everybody hear me kind of defending myself already? Is everybody hearing this? I'm already defending my actions already, just even telling the story. But I do. I have scorching ADD, and so I thought of something, and I knew if I didn't do it right now, I wasn't going to do it. So I quick grabbed, and listen, I am so focused on what she's saying in these next few seconds because I know that this is wrong, but i got to do it because if I don't, I won't. And so I'm typing, and I'm listening to her, and I'm listening, and all of a sudden, the talking stops. This is bad. This is really bad. I would much rather have her grab my phone and throw it across the restaurant than have her just stop talking, okay? Because I know I've really hurt her feelings when she's not talking anymore. So I, I push send on the text, and I look, and I'm like, what? No, no, what, what? I heard everything. And I repeated verbatim everything she said in the last few seconds that I've been texting with the same tone of voice that she said it. I inflected the same ways. I'm like, I nailed it. I got it. It's totally there. You heard me. I said it all. She still didn't say anything. So I launched into my whole excuse thing. You know I got ADD. I can't help it. I had to do this. If I didn't do this, it was going to you know, ruin my day tomorrow. Blah, 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 right? Still nothing. She's totally, she knows me. She's totally playing me. She's totally working this thing. What's she waiting for? Why is she talking? She's just waiting for me to set my phone off to the side and say, babe, I'm sorry. I know that really bothers you. I shouldn't have done that. Can we go on with our night? When I did that, guess what? Started talking again. That's all she was waiting for. She didn't want all that excuse stuff. But that's what I do. That's what you do. I can't possibly be wrong here. I'm me. There's, there's got to be an explanation for why this has occurred. And so let, let me give you my best shot. Here's why I'm right, even when I'm not. Yeah, God, God uh, institutes justice at the very outset of sin. Now, before, before this, justice wasn't, justice wasn't necessary. Everybody, Adam and Eve, were towing the line. They, they, there was nothing to correct But as soon as Adam and Eve, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, as soon as they chose to rebel against God, justice comes into reality. And God's got to correct those who would controvert his words. It's just how he rolls. And it's a good thing. Is everybody grateful for justice? We may not like it, but is everybody grateful for justice? I mean, can you think of a society that didn't have justice, that had rules that nobody, you know, enforced in any way? How would driving work? Hey, hey, I know normally we drive on the right-hand side, but I feel like today... I'm going left side. You know, we, we read it almost, you know, monthly now that somebody gets drunk and goes the wrong way on a highway around Tampa. Has anybody been reading this stuff? I mean, people are idiots, right? But can you imagine if there wasn't consequences for those kinds of choices? Unfortunately, we see uh, all too often that there are consequences. People lose their lives when we disobey the laws that govern us, right? Just makes a mess out there. So justice has to happen. So just so that we can have civilization, Justice is required. 
I want to talk to you today about God's justice and how uh, when we mess up, he steps in. And a lot of times, uh, we have to pay a price for the choices that we made. He allows us to suffer consequences. He brings justice where there's been none. And some of us, we may do everything we can to avoid those consequences. We may get angry at God that we have those consequences. But I'm here to tell you that God's justice is just his grace in another form. Here's why. <clears throat> it is so loving, so loving for someone to correct what's out of, out of line because it's in that correction uh, that we have our classroom, that we have our learning opportunity, that we, that we figure out how to do this better so it doesn't hurt us again in the future and we get to glorify God like we were designed to do. I uh, sat behind a, a lady, I told you this story a couple weeks ago, we were at breakfast, Eleanor and I, we go out to eat a lot. Anyway, but uh, <coughs> apparently, because it's all my stories, but, um, but we were sitting at this breakfast one morning, and this little boy loves jelly, and he kept, remember I told you the story, he kept putting jelly on his toast, and, and I talked about sin is, is basically us saying more jelly, I just want more. I, God gave me enough, but I want more. And uh, so this little kid, you know, he's got too much jelly, he's going to be a diabetic by the time he's six, and so his mom's... His mom's like, hey, slow down on the jelly there, buddy. And he kept wiping it and became this little battle royale. He was like, no, no more jelly. Took the knife, took the pad of jelly, and the kid just erupted, you know, just lost his mind. He couldn't believe his mom was so mean to take away the jelly. And half, you know, wanting to stop him and control him and half wanting to comfort him, she gathered him up into her arms and, and she was comforting Remember I told you, even as he was, she was comforting him, he saw the jelly was in reach, and so he reaches for more jelly, even as, you know, uh, his mom. But his mom was such a good mom. Wasn't having any of that. She said, no, here's the line, bro. I said, no jelly. And she stopped that boy from getting more jelly and hopefully stopped his future in crime by doing so, right? (laughs) I mean, I trust the guy's not going to buy a ski mask at some point in the future and start knocking off 7-Elevens because his mom said, no more jelly. That's justice. That's a line. That's, That's a prohibition. It feels like he's losing, but it's great because he's learning. I don't know about you, but like, I grew up uh, learning lots of things as a result of justice. I grew up in a day and age where spankings were still the norm. Remember those? Yeah. And so uh, if I messed up, I knew my mom was not going to spare the rod, right? Uh, And so uh, justice was coming. My mom used to say two things to me. This is going to hurt me more than you. Whatever, right? Come on. Don't, parents, don't say that. It's a lie. You're just trying to make yourself feel better for having to punish your kid. Just, just do what you got to do, okay? But secondly, she would say this. This is for your own. Uh, I didn't believe that at all. When she was saying that to me as a little kid, I was like, for my own good, this is going to hurt. And in my, my house was a spanking plus house. Usually there was a spanking and then a grounding to follow. Right? This is the initial pain, but this is going to last all week. And I was like, how could any of this be good? But I am so grateful on this side of my child rearing that I have the sense that I, you know, frankly, I'm not here to judge our culture, but here we go. I don't think our culture has a whole lot of sense of justice or right and wrong because it's never been taught to them. It's never been instilled in their values. It's a free-for-all out there. Don't get me going. But I'm grateful, and I'm not perfect. Don't listen to me say I'm up here being perfect. I'm not. I'm a mess just like the rest of you. But I've, I've hit some walls. 
I've, I've, I've gone to some lines and seen that this is not a good place to be because the people in my world, the God who I worship, has brought justice. And it's taught me so much of what I know. Justice is so necessary. And justice is grace by another name. It's God leading us to our best, giving us our best by correcting us in our wrong. I could, I'm going to talk a little more about this, but I'm excited to talk to you about justice. There's two questions I want us to answer today. first one is this. It's going to kind of lead us to justice, but I want to talk first of all about what happens to us or between us and God when we sin, okay? We're going to kind of see that unfold at, at, in the wake of man, the first man and the first woman's sins, first sins and their relationship with God. But the second thing we're going to talk about is the fact that there's, you know, the question is, is there anything good that comes from bad? Is there anything that can be good when, when, when we sin? And we're going to see that God's grace is on display, even in the consequences that he doles out for those bad choices that we make against him. Are you with me? So those two questions. Here we go. First one's this. What happens between us and God when we sin? <clears throat> well, uh, I liken it to a dance. Who grew up in the 80s? Anybody grew up in the 80s? Anybody remember the 80s? Anybody seen a book on the 80s? Commercial, TV? Okay. 80s is, is basically the dawn of hip-hop. It started in the 70s in New York, and then, uh, you know, the hip-hop just started rap culture and all that stuff. And then the, in the mid-80s, this thing called breakdancing kind of hit the scene. Anybody, anybody break dance? I am not a break dance. This is when they pop and lock, you know. Okay. Obviously, I cannot break dance, okay? But these kids would get together in the city streets, city parks, and they would get a boom box as big as a Volkswagen, and then they'd lay out a, piece of big, a big piece of cardboard, and then I do know how to do the start to the break dance. This is how they'd always start. They'd always... Anybody remember this? All right, okay. There you go. That's all right. It's kind of break dancing. But they would bust that, and then all of a sudden, they'd just put one hand on the ground, and they'd just start spinning and kicking and flipping and flopping, and they'd get on their head, and they'd spin on their head without touching on their hands. And Somebody remember this? I mean, it was crazy. It's awesome. Wish I could have done it. But they'd do that, and they'd do that for as long as they could until they got tuckered out, and then there'd be someone else who was kind of, it's like landing airplanes. You know, there'd be someone else on the outside of the cardboard doing that whole thing. And then that dude would get up, and then he'd go do his stuff. And in the streets, I mean, apparently, I wasn't a part of the streets, but they would, they would, this was battling. They would break dance battle. And someone would be the winner because they were obviously the better break dancer. I'm out of breath. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when sin happens, we kind of have a, a, a dance battle with God. We do our moves. He does his moves. He tries to counter what we're doing. And he, try to, he try to, tries to lead us into repentance. His, 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 listen, sin happens, but God's mission, God's hope in the midst of our sin is that we will get to a sorry, I don't want to do this again, forgive me, and help me to change. He wants us to get there sooner, faster, so that sin can't take root and make a mess in our lives. But we do all kinds of dancing. Let's watch it unfold. Here we go. When sin happens in our lives, our first move is this. <clears throat> We hide. I know you can see me over here, but uh, everybody loves, everybody, you know, hey, I'm in trouble. I got to get out of here. I got to put some space between me and the person I'm in trouble with. I'm going to hide. And that's what Adam and Eve choose first. It says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst all the trees of the garden. Uh, highly ineffective, just so you know when you're trying to hide from God. 
Uh, the Bible says in a Psalm 31, uh, 139, there's no, way, no, no place that we can go from the presence of God. We can go up to the highest heights of heaven. We can go down to the deepest depths of Sheol or the, the depths of the earth. Uh, but God sees us everywhere. He doesn't need cameras. He's God. He just knows. He sees. And so we can't hide from him. It doesn't keep us from trying. Yeah, I messed up, but maybe he didn't notice. Now, what was, what was Adam and Eve's first reaction when they sinned? Fig leaves. Let's cover it up. Let's hide. Let's take our shame. And that's, that's one of the principal reasons that people uh, seek to hide is that they feel shame. Isn't that true? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian or, or theistic to, even, to understand this. We have this thing that most psychologists would agree called a conscience. And when you do something against your conscience, you know you did something wrong. No one else has to know, right? I have, I, my son, Ben, he, he got over this, but his, in his early years, uh, he was by far the hardest on himself uh, than, than my wife or I could ever be. Like, I, he would do something wrong, and it would just be eaten at him so bad that as soon as I walked through the door, you know, home from work, and I said, hey, Ben, how was your day? He'd just start busting into tears. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break it. And he'd, you know, haul out something of mine that he shouldn't have been playing with. And he would just confess. Why? Because he had this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt. And, you know, for a long time, his modus operandi was to come right out with it as soon as I got home. Like I said, that tends to change in people. And after a while, their shame and guilt becomes something that they try to hide. Another reason that people hide is self-preservation. Here's what happened when sin came into the world. Uh, we came online as far as having a sense of ourselves. I believe before sin entered in the world, we didn't have this self-esteem issue that so many of us face, or we didn't have this self-obsession issue that most of our culture wrestles with. We're all about me, about advancing my uh, you know, standings and, and, and preserving myself. And so when something happens that we've you know, done something wrong, it's... It's not, should I confess what I've done or should I try to make it right? It's like, how can I get out of this so that I still gain or I still have? And so one of the ways that we think we could do that is to hide, to deny and deflect and, and try to defeat the charges. I used to watch cops, not a lot, but just every once for a lark, you know, I'd watch cops because I'd never seen an episode of cops where anybody who's ever been caught and had the, the handcuffs put on them ever did anything wrong. Have you ever seen an episode where someone was like, yeah, I did it. You're totally right. Hey, there's more crack in this pocket. I know you found it in this pocket. but there's... No, if, if, they're, if they're hauling drugs out of this dude's pocket, what's their, what's their line? That's not mine. You know, they haul a 45 out of their belt. Oh, I've never seen that gun before in my life. I don't know how it got there. It's in your belt, champ. We've been chasing you for six city blocks. You've wrecked four cars. and I mean, we've got it on film. This is a TV show, Einstein. I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Well, I've got to preserve me. I've got to have deniability. I've got I to come up with a story that keeps me out of jail. That's our first move, hide, dance. Let's wiggle out of this somehow. But isn't it great that God is one of these, uh, well, he's the only God, but he's a God uh, who doesn't allow us to wiggle? He keeps pursuing us. That's what, that's what we see him do. God comes looking for us. Our God is a God who seeks. Isn't this great? God loved you and I so much 
that he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were a hot mess, while we were rebelling against him and hiding our sin from him and all that stuff, he sent Christ to die for us. It wasn't when we were at our best. It was when we were at our worst that he sent Jesus. You know why he did that? He loves us. And you know what his love compels him to do for us? His love compels us or compels him to seek us out even when we are the sinful messes that we are. Isn't that great? Does anybody get excited about that? I mean, that's the grace of God. None of us deserve that, and he does it anyway. And here he is in the garden. Everybody understands that as soon as Adam, Adam, he saw Adam and Eve choose to rebel against him, and he could have just scorched the earth, literally. Like we say that figuratively, he could have scorched the earth and ended everything right there. No trial, no, no discussion, nothing. But he comes down and he seeks to engage with his created ones. And even when they're hiding from him, he sees them. But look what he says. The Lord God called the man. He said to him, where are you? Anybody ever like, uh, you know, gone over to a kid's house and decides to hide from you? So he hides behind the drape. But the drape only goes to here. And so you can totally see his feet, right? Now he can't see you, so if he can't see you, you can't see him, right? But you can walk right up on this kid and you're like, oh, where is he? I wonder where he is. I can't find him at all. Have you seen him? All right, right? And this is akin to what God is doing. Does God need information? Is God asking literally, where's Adam? No, he knows where he is. He sees the feet underneath the drape. So what's he doing? Well, he's inviting Adam into a conversation. Hey, I know where you are. I know what you've done. But I want to give you a chance. Let's talk about this. Let's handle this the right way. Where are you, Adam? What you been up to? It's the nature of God. Even his son, uh, he came to earth. And in Luke 19, it says uh, this about Jesus. It says, the son of man came to seek and to save who? The lost. Lost in what? Lost because the GPS doesn't work? Lost because you wouldn't stop to ask directions because you're a man? No, just lost in sin. That's who Jesus came to seek and to save. Sinners, hot messes, you and me. That was his whole mission. He'd come to town. He didn't go to the temple. I mean, he did eventually, but he didn't go to the, to the government seats. He didn't go to the highest, highest and muckety mucks. He went to the messiest messes. And he sought them out. You know where he says this? He says this line in the house of a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But do you know how he met this guy, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And so when he came to Zacchaeus' town, Everybody came out to see Jesus. Huge throngs uh, went to greet him. Uh, but Zacchaeus, does anybody remember where he was? He climbed up in a tree. Now, some people say, well, he was really short, so he had to get up there so he could see. I think he was really smart because he knew if he hung out down here with the rest of the crowd, as a short man, no one would see them pummel him. So he had to get up in a safe place. And he hid himself in a tree. And you ever marvel at that story that Jesus is walking through probably hundreds if not thousands of people in this town and he locks eyes with the short guy in the tree and he says, hey, bro, I'm going to your house. You know what he's basically saying? Hey, man, I've been looking for you. And they go to his house and he shares the good news of his gospel and Zacchaeus is transformed. He's renewed in his mind. He says, I'm going to pay back everybody, and they need more, and, and this, this is how Jesus caps it. Yep. Example one, 
It's my mission to seek and to save. That's, what, that's, that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. He's a seeker of those who are lost. He's a saver of those who need saving. So that's his move. Now we go back to the cardboard and we do this move. We obsess over our consequences, consequences rather than our offenses. Isn't that true? He, he calls him out and says, Adam, where are you? And Adam comes out and here's what Adam says. Adam says this. He says, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was what? First time that's ever happened in the world. Has Adam or Eve ever felt fear? No, it's never been necessary. They've been in a right relationship with the only person that they could be afraid of. There's been nothing to be afraid of. Adam tips his hand here. He says, I was afraid because I was naked. That's never been something he's known. I was afraid. I was naked. Didn't want want you to see me naked, so I kind of hid. Sorry. No, does that does he ever say sorry? No, that never comes out. Yeah, he's sitting across from God at, at the dinner table on his cell phone. Right? I got ADD. I can't help myself. If I don't do this, it'll never get done. Excuse, excuse, excuse. But no truth, no confession, no repentance. He's evasive. Why? Because he's more concerned with his consequences than he is with his offenses. He just wants to avoid the punishment. He wants to keep from experiencing the mess. So what does God do? This is God's next move. God gives us a chance to come clean. Look what he says. He gives us a chance to come clean when he says this. Who told you that you were naked? And then he gives them a yes or no question. Have you eaten of the tree? What? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That's a yes or no question. You can only answer that one, or, one of two ways. Yes or no. He t- he's listening. He is setting the table of repentance for Adam. Here you go, bro. Let me just make this real easy for you. Let's quit all the dancing and all the, you know, the, the, the chatter and all that stuff. Yes or no? Did you blow it or not? I mean, he just comes correct. And he sets up this opportunity for, for Adam to come clean. He does it with us. We've, we've been in those situations. I was an eight-year-old living in, uh, you know, eastern Canada. It was October 30th, and I decided to have an inside-the-house camping trip, okay? Every once in a while when I was a little kid, I'd get tired of sleeping in my own bed, and so I would ask my mom if I could sleep on the couch in the living room. Or go downstairs in what we call a basement. It's like a room underneath the house for all of you who live in Florida. And, uh, and I'd sleep down there, okay? And I would just do it, get my sleeping bag out, pillow, and it'd be like my own little camping trip in my house. Well, on October 30th of this one uh, year, my eighth, my eighth year, um, I was sleeping on the, in the living room underneath the TikTok clock that was the standard of time in my home. And the TikTok clock went off, chimes, uh, you know, every hour. And at 4 o'clock, it woke me up. And so at 4 o'clock, I stand up on the couch, 8 years old, and I start messing with the TikTok clock in the dark. Well, I figured out how to unlatch the panel that closed off the TikTok clock's works. And I opened it up and I started just going, <laughs> and I messed with the works of the clock. I set it back like two and a half, three hours. 
Went back to sleep. Didn't even think a, a second about it. Didn't, I don't even know if I knew how to set time. I don't, I don't know if I, you know, I, I was eight. I probably knew. But anyway, wake up, do the day. My mom looks at the TikTok clock at what she thinks is 5.30. It's really like only 3, 2.30 or 3 o'clock. But she thinks I've got a half an hour to get these kids their costumes, get them, you know, set for Halloween and get out there before it gets dark out here because it's Canada, uh, you know, and it's dark at that time of night. And so, uh, so she's just in a panic. We go to Kmart. I, we, we, were, we were po po po. So I got me uh, like half a Lone Ranger outfit. I got the mask. I didn't get the hat or the guns. I could have been Zorro. Who knows? But I just had a black mask, okay? And I come back and uh, we're all lined up, ready to go. My sisters, we, they, they had a standard hobo thing. They took my dad's old suits and they just filled it with pillows. A hobo. Remember? Hobo thing. It was a big thing back in the 70s. So we were all ready to go. Hobos, two hobos, and, and Zorro Ranger. And uh, <clears throat> mom says, finally, she, she's wa- listening to the radio. I don't know how she figured it out, but she figured out uh, that the time on the TikTok clock was way ahead. Okay? Which I think is kind of her fault. <laughs> I'm still defending myself even now. But anyway, <clears throat> but she finally figures it out, so she lines us up. Now, just so we're clear, who was sleeping on the couch underneath the clock all night? The boy. How m- I got two sisters. Who, who messes everything up in the house? Who is, the, who is the cause of every situation in our home at the time that I'm alive? Me, man. It's me. My sisters didn't do jack, okay? It was me. She knew it was me. But she does the lineup anyway, okay? So here they come. Sister, younger sister, me, older sister. That's how I always stood. Somebody messed with the clock. Who did it? Little sister. Not me. Not me. Older sister, not me. Well, that didn't work at all, did it, right? So mom says, okay, I gave you a chance, but now whoever did it is in trouble. Tell me again whether or not you messed with the clock. Little sister, not me. I passed. (laughs) That was my first move. Maybe I'll confuse her. So I just looked at my older sister, and my older sister was like, it wasn't me, and then my younger sister and my older sister both looked at me with their arms folded, and my mom said, Mark, and I'm thinking, I'm eight years old. I'm like, okay, I got to come up with something good. Halloween is in the balance. This is big. So this is what I said to my mom. You promise not to punish me if I tell you who did it. (laughs) See, I didn't do the math on that when I was saying, you know. Uh, She said, go to your room. Uh, I went to my room at 3 o'clock on Halloween, and uh, I didn't come back out. My sisters went trick-or-treating with mom. Uh, I laid in my bed. Uh, my mom made my sisters come back with their pillowcases full of candy. You know how you do the swap, you know? Uh, they did the swap outside the door of my uh, bedroom in the hallway, eating their candy in front of me while my mom made sure I was awake. That's a good mother right there. Don't cry for me. That's a good mom. Some of you kids are like, no, you're giving her ideas. But that's, that's good parenting. Why? Well, because she came to me in grace. If I had, listen. I mess with the clock. It's not like, you know, 
a national security issue, I mess with the clock. And if I just said, yeah, it was me. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. It was fun. If I just said that, the candy was mine because I didn't say that. The candy was not. God does that with us all the time. Just come clean. Just deal with your stuff. But here's what we do. Here's our move. We play the blame game. We got all kinds of reasons why. In fact, everybody hold these up. This is the first time that these were used in history. These little fingers right here. Adam's like, I've always wondered what these were for. Here we go. Because this is what he says. Look what it says. The man said, the woman, and he points at the girl, who just a chapter before, he was singing songs over. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Remember that song? He sang about this woman. He was crazy about this woman until he got in trouble. And then he says, this woman, and then what's he say? That you gave to me. She gave me the fruit of the tree. And then he finally gets to the the actual answer of the question, which was, did you or did you not eat of the tree? He says, yeah, I ate it. But what's he start with? These. The woman that you gave. It's kind of your fault, God. If you hadn't given me this woman, I mean, everything was perfect until she came here. But when she arrived, I mean, here we go. So he kind of just looks down at Eve and is like, there, how about that? And so God turns to Eve and he says this to Eve. He says, uh, what is it that you've done? And the woman didn't have, you know, dual holsters, so she just hauled out the one. And so what's she do? Well, the snake, the serpent, he deceived me. And then she answers the question that God actually asked, and, and I ate. Now, we love doing this. Yeah, hey, it's just how I was brought up. It's, it's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my last marriage. It's, it's my last church. Everybody lean in. Let's lean in. Let's have a lean in moment. You ready? If you sin, you chose to sin. Put these away. There's never been a sin propagated on this planet that was not the choice of the sinner. And the sooner, listen, here's why this is so important. I've got I to hurry up, but I'm going to get to the punchline. Here's why this is so important. Sin's going to happen. It's unfortunate. We've been saved from its effects. It's no longer keeping us separate from God. We are united to him. He sees us as perfect. But sin is still something that we all wrestle with, Right? We all love to defend ourselves, and we all want to worship ourselves. Just, it's just who we are in the flesh, and so it's going to be an issue. So if it's going to be an issue, then there's a best way to handle it, and then there's a worst way to handle it. And what we're learning from Adam and Eve is the worst way to handle sin. If you blow it, don't spend all of your time defending and blaming and, and hemming and hawing. Just admit it. Confess it. Repent of it and move forward in a new way that honors God. Will you have to potentially pay consequences for that sin? Absolutely. I'm not going to say that choosing to confess your sin immediately is going to absolve you of responsibility for that sin. Don't hear me say that. But is it going to be fundamentally, exponentially better 
for you to deal with sin immediately than to just kind of hem and haw, blame and point? Yes. And that's all that God is trying to teach us through this conversation with Adam and Eve. Just come out with it. Deal with it. You know what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26? It says this. Uh, be angry and do not sin. That's the first part. And then this part I put in the marriage vows. Everybody that I've ever, I've done like 200 weddings. And every wedding that I've ever done, uh, the, the, the people in the wedding had to say these lines. I put it in the vows. They're not there. I put them in. Uh, it says, be angry, do not sin. And this is the part I put in. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I make people who get married promise not to let the sun go down on their anger. It's biblical. And it's so practical because you know what the next line in the verse is? Do not let the sun go down in the anger and, and therefore keep the devil from getting a foothold in your life. It's the only time in scripture that I know of that this whole devil with his foot in the door thing occurs. And what is, it, what is the consequence or what is the, the circumstance under which the devil gets a foothold in your life? You fudging on, taking your time with, dealing with sin. If you don't deal with your anger in an expedient way, guess who gets his foot in the door? Your adversary. And guess what he loves to do with sin? He loves to take your sins and compound them with more. Does everybody understand that when you start pointing and blaming and lying and hiding, that you're just making sin worse? It's sin on top of sin on top of sin. And all of a sudden, you start getting away with sin, and that emboldens you to do more sin. And then you do those sins. And you're like, cool, I got away with that one too. And all of a sudden, your conscience is seared. Your, your, the, the rails are gone, and off you go into this life of just, bleh, and then all of a sudden, the hammer comes down. And you're like, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The first sin wasn't dealt with correctly, and it led to the rest of the mess. Stuff comes apart when we don't deal with sin immediately and effectively. And humbly. It's just the nature of how it works. We, uh, we start losing touch with the Holy Spirit. It's like uh, having no signal on your phone. If you come up here during the week, you'll see lots of our staff members outside the, uh, of our offices in the back here using their cell phones. It's not like we require them to do so. It's just they don't work in here. We've got all kinds of steel beams and stuff like that. They don't get any signal. And so if they're going to be able to answer your phone calls, they've got to go outside and do it. But here's what happens. We kind of get into, you know, the sin structure of our lives. It goes unrepented and undealt with, and we just excuse and blame and hide, and, and we just get further and further from the Holy Spirit, and his effect in our life is less because we can't, we don't get signal. We, we come to, even come to church, we've got obstructed view seating. Uh, every time I get in the Boston area, I love to hopefully get a, a game at Fenway Inn, and Fenway Park was built in 19-something, 10, something like that. And back in those days, they, uh, they hadn't mastered the engineering that allows us in modern uh, ballparks to just sit everywhere, and there's no pylons in your way or whatever. Uh, but at Fenway, there's obstructive view seats. They're cheaper, but you're just not going to see the game. Do you know what happens with Sin. The Bible talks about it when, uh, when Jesus talks about getting the speck out of other people's eyes. You've got a plank in yours. Sin is this obstructed view thing. And it keeps us from, so you can come to church and you can sing the songs, you kind of hear what goes on, but you can't see the game. You can't connect with God because that sin is just taking root in your life. So if you hear nothing else this morning, we're not going to have much time for anything else. Deal with sin 
immediately, effectively, effectively, and humbly. Confess it. Some of you, that's what you came to church here today for today. Uh, you came to hear me say that so that you could start dealing with something that you've just kind of packed away for a long time, just been holding on to and hoping no one finds out. Just, just be done with it and be rid of its power in your life by confessing it and moving for, uh, forward from it. Now, can I tell you, just, I'm going to go real quick. The, the, the second question is that, uh, is there any good news when it comes to sin? Yeah, because even in the consequences that God levies in our lives, uh, there, there's grace in them. The, the first one is this, God conquers sins. I'm, I'm just going to summarize these in the verses. He comes to the serpent, and he tells the serpent, first of all, uh, you're going to you know, kind of slide around on the ground in your belly, and you're going to eat dust the rest of your life. So that's, that's verse 15. And, and basically, he's, when he says you're going to eat dust, when we say eat my dust, we're talking about like we're going to beat you in a race. I'm going to peel out, and you're not going to be able to catch me, and blah, 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 right? Eat my dust. Okay, that's not what he's meaning here. He, he's, he's saying eat dust. He's saying, um, well, you're dead. The dead people or dead things eat dust. When you die, you go to the ground. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. He says to the snake, you're going to eat dust. You're dead. Your, your fate is sealed. I'm done with you, Satan. You are condemned. You're dead. Satan can't be saved. Uh, God confirms this in his judgment of the snake. Okay? Then he says to Satan, he says this, listen. It's gonna, there's going to be enmity between uh, you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And I'm going to send one who's going to bruise your head even as you try to bruise his heel. And I've told you this before if you've been at this church. This is the first time that Jesus has prophesied about in all of Scripture, in the wake of sin, hours old perhaps. God says, hey man, there's going to be one that comes from the descendants of this woman, a human who is born, who is going to be my solution for sin. He's going to conquer sin. He's going to crush your head, even though you keep kind of nipping at the rest of humanity's heels. He says, I've already got a solution for this. Sin's not out of my control, God says. I believe he allowed sin to happen so that he could glorify himself all the more. That's another sermon from a couple weeks ago. Go listen to it. But it's never like he was like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, I didn't know, I don't know how to handle it. He always knew. He gets to write the story. He's God, right? And so apparently in God's goodwill, he says, I'm going to tell the story of my goodness through the coming of my son Jesus. And he's going to come and he's going to save humanity from sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. God conquers sin and then God extends grace even as he punishes sin. Can I tell you what he does to the woman? In, the, in, the, in his consequence or in his punishment of the woman, here's what he says. You're going to have pain in childbirth. He says pain twice there. It's two different words. The first time he uses the word pain, it's this word that means anxiety. The second time he says you're going to have pain in childbirth, it's, it's physical pain. He says, okay, so moms, having kids is going to be a pain. Moms out there, anybody? Has, has there been pain physically in the birthing of your children? Maybe not so much. Epidurals, way to go. But certainly, uh, without medicines, that's a painful experience. But here's what the pain that I think he was emphasizing. In the greatest relationship that's known to mankind, the relationship between a child and its mother, there's going to be anxiety. There's going to be a, a disturbance. They're not going to be uh, gracious and loving children. I've raised three. I've got four now. That is my experience. Okay? I love them, but it's not always perfect. Sometimes, or a lot of times, it's probably my fault. 
But in those relationships, in our families, there can be strife. He says this, you're going to desire to the woman. He says, you're going to desire your husband, but he's going to rule over you. What he means there is you're going to desire to rule over him, but he's going to desire to rule over you. And guess what? That's going to stink every once in a while. That whole marriage thing, now by God's grace, marriage can be awesome. But too, far too often in the marriages that we have, sin comes to roost. And that relationship, that, that, the greatest of all relationships, can be some of the most hurtful stuff that we experience in life. And God said, hey, that's just a consequence for sin being in existence. Your earthly relationships, relationships on this plane, they're going to fail. It's going to be hard. It's all because you chose sin. But here's where the grace is in that. Can I show it to you? You know why God purposefully allowed relationships on earth to fail? Because when relationships on earth fail, guess who people have to turn to? The one who doesn't. He says, hey, man, I'm going to allow strife in these relationships that you have on earth between your kids, between your your marriages, and, and just relationships in general. Because I know that when you figure out that this isn't where it's at, you're going to turn to me. And guess who never leaves you or forsakes you? That's God. He never leaves you or forsakes you. You know what he did to the the man? He says this to the man. He says, hey, here's the deal, bro. Because you've sinned, everything that was going to be a a cakewalk for you, you were still going to have to work, but it was a guarantee. It was a lock that you were always going to have enough food. Your crops were always going to come in. Everything that was a lock before you sinned is now up for grabs. You're going to have to work hard. There's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be, it's just going to be, it's going to be, you're going to be unsure of your very existence. You don't know if you're going to be able to, like, like, here's the deal. Most of us, food's not a problem because we go to Publix. Um, You know, we we live in 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 a more favorable society or a more favorable situation than Adam found himself in. But here's the deal. Isn't this true? Every one of us, God forbid, and I pray this doesn't happen, but every one of us can get in that car that God gave us, pull out of here, and it'd be our last car ride. Every one of us. It's entirely possible. You know why? Because we're not in control. There are forces bigger than us out there that determine the fate of our lives. Does everybody get that? You know how that happened? You know how we went from a sure thing to an unsure thing? We rebelled against the holy God. And so God says, you know what, I'm, leaving, I'm taking my sureness out of this deal. You're going to live with uncertainty the rest of your lives. Little children die every day because there's not enough food where they live. A, a, a good portion of the earth's population doesn't have clean water to drink. We, we, we're living in a day and age where technology has made uh, you know, life-sustaining uh, you know, advances so prevalent that, that there's, there's more than enough for the world to exist, but we still fail and kill each other and destroy. Are you with me? Sin has made life perilously, perilously unsure. We don't have any control. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling the truth. Why would God levy this as a consequence? Because when man finally realizes that they aren't in control, guess who he hopes they turn to? The one who is in control. He, he structured all of the consequences so that when everything else in our life breaks down, our only hope is him. I see that as gracious. I see that as him working punishment for our good. He works all things together for the good 
of those who love him. Because all things, ultimately, whether they're great or whether they're hard, they point us to the God that gives us peace. Remember what Jesus said? I'll close with this. Jesus said this. He says, uh, yeah, that's what he said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's in direct response to the consequence that Adam was given at the fall. Hey, you're going to labor. You're going to be heavy laden. Things are going to break. Hey, your relationships are going to fail. But if that happens and when that happens, here's the deal. Y'all come to me and I will give you what? I'm your source. I'm your strength. I'm your hope. It's the same as it was in the garden as it is with us outside the garden. God wants us to know and follow hard after him. And he uses consequences and his lavish graces to point us in his direction. He's a good God. May you and I see him. And may we follow him always. Amen? Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for the truths that we find in Genesis, the origins that we see of all these things, of your justice and of grace, uh, of our sin and our failures. Uh, you're, you're working behind all of them. And Lord, I look out over this crowd and I know there's people out here that are hurting because of just things getting messed up in their lives. It could be their doing, it could be someone else's uh, bidding that they, uh, they feel the pain that they do. Here's my prayer, God, uh, that you would give them rest, that they would come to you as their solution for their own sin and for the consequences of other people's sins. And that they'd find hope and peace in you and that they'd be able to walk into a uh, a new way of life that honors you and brings glory to you and restores order to their lives. Uh, do that, God, in the, in the hearts of people today. Uh, bring them to repentance humbly uh, and soon so that sin does not have the effect that it can have on their lives and release them to yourself, God, to the rest that comes only from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to go dunk some people. I hope you hang out to see that. God bless you as you go, and have a great day.